Isaiah 41 and 42. And, you know, last week we went over chapter 40, and it was just one chapter. And uh, it's tough for me, you know, not to go in depth, you know. But um, if I only go one chapter a week, I'm going to be in the book of Isaiah for a long time. And even when we get into the other books, you know, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And so tonight we're going to cover a couple of chapters. And the title of today's study is Fear Not, But Why Not? You know, God gives us a command, but then he gives us the reasons for the command. And it's really cool. Uh, One verse I want to give you right off the bat is out of Mark chapter 5 in verse 36. And I am going to ask you guys later, if I run into you in the hallway or something, I'm going to ask you if you know this verse. If you got to know the address, Mark 5, 36, and you have to know what it says. And I'll just give you a little portion of it. Jesus told uh, the, the, the ruler of the synagogue when his daughter was in danger, he said, do not be afraid, only believe. And if I could summarize this section, I would say that's probably what the Lord is trying to do. I don't know if any of you here uh, struggle with fear or you're fear-driven, you worry a lot. Um, I'll tell you what, fear will rob you of peace. Fear will rob you of power, and fear will rob you of pleasure. And so one of the most important commands that we have in the Bible is is do not be afraid. And we're going to see that today. We're going to see why God gives us that command. My prayer is that if there is any of you here today who struggle with fear, that God would just heal you of that today, that God would take that out. You know, um, I, I really believe it's an important thing because really what ends up happening when you become a, f- a faith-based Christian rather than a fear-driven person, then you end up becoming like David when he was young. And you remember what David did? He ran to the battle and he slew Goliath when everyone else was shaken in their boots. See, and that's why this is such a huge, huge lesson. God can take the book of Isaiah, which mentions this over and over and over and over again. And you guys are sitting here, you're studying it, you're coming to hear from God. He's going to take it and he's going to use it to heal you from fear, to take it out. And it's a really, really cool section. So Isaiah 41, look what it says in verse 1. It says, Keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, then let them speak. Let us come near together for judgment. And so God, first of all, deals with the coastlands. And if you have different versions, they call it isles isles or islands. And that would be basically significant of the most remote places on planet Earth. And basically what God is saying to the whole Earth, to those who are far away, everywhere, he's saying, keep silence before me. And more than likely, he's telling them that because they should be ashamed of themselves because they're not believing in God. And then secondly, you know, he's saying, be silent, be quiet, because you need to listen. You need to listen to what I'm about to say. But then there's a dichotomy. There's a contrast right here. Notice again in verse 1, keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. Now, hmm, where have we heard that before? Renew their strength. Well, we read that in Isaiah chapter 40. It says in verse 31, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And so when he's talking to the coastlands, he's talking to the non-believers 
And now he's talking to his people. Now he's talking to the believers. And he says, let you know, my people, the people, renew their strength. How? By waiting on the Lord, by having faith in him. Renewing their strength. That's what it says. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. If you're a fear-based person, you will be weak. If you're a fear-based person, you won't have peace, you won't have power, you won't have pleasure, you won't have joy, you won't enjoy your Christian life. And so, Christian, you've got to trust God. So he's saying, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. But right here it's interesting because he kind of calls them all together. He says, let them come near and then let them speak. Let us come near together for, for judgment. And so it's kind of like the Lord is calling them all together and he's saying, okay, let's talk about this so that you can come up with this amazing conclusion and decision about who God is and how he rules over the nations and every single situation. We're talking about how God rules over everything globally and how God rules over everything personally. Look what he says in verse uh, 2. Who raised up one from the east? Who in righteousness called him to his feet? Who gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings? Who gave them as the dust to his sword, as driven stubble to his bow? I mean, right here, basically what God is saying, who, who's done this? Who raised up that leader that is so powerful? Who raised up that nation that no other nation can stand before them? I mean, when God, you know, raises up a nation and, you know, they're, they're, I mean, we're talking whether it's Egypt or Assyria or, or Babylon or later on it would be Greece or Rome. I mean, in the United States of America, whatever it might be. He, he's talking about the Lord. Who raised up this one from the east? Who in righteousness called him to his feet? Who gave the nations before him, made him rule over kings? Who gave them as the dust to his sword, as driven stubble to his bow? Who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his feet? Who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? Who? And he gives the answer, huh? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. You know, the Lord, it's interesting. Verse 3, who raised up one from the east? Now, most of the people that I kind of run with, they think this is King Cyrus. Now, you guys are going to see later on in the book of Isaiah how God mentioned by name the king of Medo-Persia 200 years before he was born. I mean, it's just an amazing thing how God mentions him 150 years before the event takes place God ends up saying, I'm going to raise up a king. And if you read Ezra chapter 1, he, he names him by name. And he says, this guy is going to let my people, he's going to give them victory over Babylon. He's going to give them victory over the other nations. And God's going to use him to rebuild, you know, to send the people back to Jerusalem so that they would rebuild. And so most believe that this one that's raised up from the east is in reference to Cyrus. But there are some people who believe it's in reference to Abraham. Now, it's interesting because if you look here in verse 2, again, who raised up one from the east, who in righteousness called him to his feet. Now, look at the word his. And if you have a new King James, the H is capitalized. And so it's righteousness. And so maybe it's Abraham who was given righteousness. And because of that, God kind of like stood up 
and then started working on his behalf because we do know this, that eventually Israel did become a world power. Eventually, the nations did fall. Canaan did fall to Israel. And so, uh, again, if I had, if you recorded me and you said, well, who is this one? I would say more than likely it's Cyrus, but it could very well be Abraham. The, the main point, it doesn't really matter though, the main point what God is saying is that he rules over the nations. That's the main point. Who is the one that does all this? It is, it is the Lord. No, that's what he says there in verse 4. I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. And you might remember, you know, throughout the scriptures, this is something that God is trying to teach us. Remember, even in the book of Daniel, that's one of the most important things in the book of Daniel, how God is just saying that he's sovereign over all the nations. And you see the image there, the statue, and all the different world powers that would come. Even today, it's interesting, I was reading an article about Putin, and it was talking about how what he's done in invading Ukraine, his greatest fear was that these nations in Europe and NATO would rise in power. That was his greatest fear, and Ukraine would be a part of it. And now, in one sense, today's article in the LA Times said that he actually was the one who brought it to pass. It was like a self-fulfilling prophecy, that because of his, you know, what he's done there in Ukraine, uh, Europe, man, the nations, I'll tell you what, they're coming together and they're getting strong. And we're talking about military might now. We're talking about Sweden and Finland and Germany. And it's just amazing. And, and what the Bible says is that in the last days, there would be a revived Roman Empire. It, it, so again, we don't know all the details and the timing of everything. But, but you know, when you read the scriptures and you see you know, about, you know, Gog and Magog and Russia and Israel and Europe, you realize that it's not Putin in charge. The Lord is accomplishing his purposes. And for us, it's very important for us to understand for two reasons. Number one, not just for the nations. I mean, I don't know if you guys are afraid of what's going on. You know, some people, everybody's different. Some people were afraid of COVID. Some people weren't. Some people were freaking out over COVID. Some people weren't. Some people were afraid... Uh, of uh, nuclear war. I mean, uh, North Korea is shooting off these missiles, right? But others are not. I don't know where you guys are at on this, but the thing that we have to know is that um, and the God is, is ruling over the nations, and God is ruling over every single one of our situations. And when this begins to really find a place in our heart, it really is life-changing. Now, right here, it talks about the Lord. He's the Lord. Uh, I'm, I'm the first, and, and with the last, I am He. Watch, if you go over to Isaiah 44, 6, if you would. He says something similar. Isaiah 44, 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and besides me there is no God. Now, now when you read it right there, it's almost like he's talking about two people, huh? It's the, it's the king of Israel and his redeemer. And in, in one sense, he is, huh? Who is he talking about? He's talking about the father and the son, huh? That's what he's talking about. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 41, that's what, that's what we see. I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. He's talking about the Father and the Son. As a matter of fact, if you go over to the book of Revelation, Revelation uh, chapter 1, 
you'll notice that this is a title of Jesus, the first and the last. Revelation chapter 1, in verse 17, it says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. That's Jesus. And if you go over to Revelation chapter 22, and we see the same thing here in Revelation chapter 22, in verse 13. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That's in red, huh? That's Jesus. And so what we're finding here in the book of Isaiah is like it's kind of like the father is introducing the son again. Isaiah is often called the gospel according to Isaiah, and it's going to be really helpful for us. And what we find is that Jesus is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, and everything in between. There's not two firsts and two lasts. And what we find here is the hint of the Trinity. It's implicit in the Old Testament, explicit in the New. What we find right here, and you're wondering, where's the Holy Spirit, though? I see the Father and I see the Son. Where's the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is inspiring Isaiah to write the text. And you guys know the Holy Spirit doesn't usually point to himself, although we will read about him in the book of Isaiah. And so anyways, here, it's really cool when you look at who has, you know, over the nations, over the situations. And so um, what happens when these nations try to defend themselves against, you know, we'll say Medo-Persia, when Cyrus gets raised up? What happens to them? Look what we read here in verse 5. The the coastlands saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came, and everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, hey, be of good courage. In other words, these nations tried to you know, team up together and try to give each other a pep talk. Hey, we can stop Medo-Persia, you know? And so what they did was they turned to their idols. And so the craftsmen encouraged the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer inspired him who strikes the anvil saying it's ready for the soldering. And then he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. What they did in trying to, you know, take control of the situation is they looked to their idols. And and what we find, you guys, it's so frequently is everyone else looks everywhere else. But if we look to anyone else other than God, then we're going to be in big trouble. And that's why, you know, it's so important for us to make sure that we, 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 we just look to the Lord and not to men, that we are really living our life for God. I was even thinking about while we were worshiping here. I was even thinking, I know everybody here knows what they're supposed to do, that they're supposed to be singing to God. But we're always supposed to be singing to God, to an audience of one, living for him. Here we see the pagans, they're looking to their idols, and it's going to be futile futile and foolish. But the children of God, they look to him. And so we read in verse 8, the contrast, but you, Israel, are my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. 
You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions. And you see in Israel's history, they're always being regathered to the land. And said to you, you are my servant whom I have chosen. You and have not cast you away. And here it is. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, they were looking to the idols, but God says to Israel, you're, you're my servant. You are, are this, the people that I've chosen. You're the descendants of Abraham, my friend. And what an awesome title that Abraham has right there. As a matter of fact, three times in the Bible, he's called God's friend. Over in Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 7, and also in James chapter 2, in verse 23, uh, Abraham was in one sense like the father of the faith. And when you think of him being a friend of God, really the, the core is what we read in John 15, 14 through 15, how when you have this personal, intimate relationship with God, how he tells you secrets, how he speaks to you like in a still small voice. And Abraham was the friend of God. Israel was the descendants of the friend of God. They entered into this covenant with God that by faith they would have a relationship with God and fellowship with God as well. And so God is saying, but you guys are different. You're not like them. You're not going to look to idols. You're going to pray about it. You're going to talk to God about it. You're going to follow God. This is what Christians do. This is what believers do. He said, you're not like them. You are different. And so having that, 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 that relationship, he gives us in verse 10 a command, and he gives us the promise. Fear not, fear not, but why not? And the promise is because I'm with you, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, he says. And the word dismayed, it means, you know, afraid or troubled or bothered or concerned or shaken. Don't be shaken. Some Christians, they are paralyzed in fear. Some Christians, they're living their life and it's like they're shaking in their boots, I mean, how in the world are we going to slay Goliath? How are we going to move mountains if we don't have that faith that God's called us to? And so he's, don't, don't be dismayed. Don't be shaken. You know, I was getting ready for this study, and I was uh, listening to a song, and I thought of it. And it's a song that we sometimes sing here at the church and I almost called Joseph and Ariana, and I said, hey, I was going to tell him, hey, can you sing this one song? Um, but then I didn't, because I said, you know what, Lord? If it's the Lord, if it's you, then you'll lay it on their hearts. And they sang it tonight. See, that's what happens when you get married. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> it's pretty cool, man. But you know that song, um, I, I Will Build. Uh, there's a, a part of it, Build My Life by Christy Knuckles. She said, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation, and I will trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. Some Christians are shaking in their boots. They live in so much fear because they're not building their life on this foundation of God's love. Listen, no one can touch you until, unless he says, and if he allows them to, then that's the best thing for you. And so what he's saying right here is fear not. That's the command. The promise is I am, I am with you. 
You know, it's interesting how he says right there, I, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, here earlier we saw how these guys that had the idols, they had to kind of peg them to the ground. Otherwise, they might, you know, they need to be held up. And God is saying, no, that's not the way it works. I'll hold you up. That's the way it works. You know, we're going to have battles and, you know, I think of what's going on in Russia right now. I think about Putin. You guys know what's going to happen to Putin? Unless he repents of his sins, do you realize his future? I mean, in hell, forever, hot spot. I mean, judged by God. I mean, he may be having his heyday now or whatever he thinks it is. I don't know. But for us, we have to know how it all works in the end, what God does with our enemies. Look what it says in verse 8. Behold, all those who were incensed against you or enraged against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing. And those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contended with you, those who war against you, shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, here it is again, fear not, I will help you. Now, what we find is that God is going to deal with our enemies. And, you know, of course, you know, I remember when my Aunt Mary, she was praying for the salvation of, uh, what's his name, El Chapo? You know, anybody can get saved, right? Other people are thinking that guy should go. Uh, but you know what? We, God can save anybody. Ultimately, though, we know there are demons out there. There are enemies who will not repent. God's going to deal with them all one day. And so what God is saying, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of that. I am with you. He says, fear not. He says right here in verse 13, I will help you. So the command is fear not, but why not? Number one, because I'm with you. And number two, because I will help you. Now, you can be with someone and not necessarily help them. What God says, I'm always going to be with you. And, you know, just in case you're wondering whether or not I'm going to step in, I'm always going to help you. With his power, he's, he's able to, but with his love, he's willing to. And that's what God will do. When this sinks in, it really is a life-changing thing. You know, three things I was thinking about when I was reading through this text, uh, reasons to fear not. And, of course, there's a million other reasons, but just from our text. Number one, because God says, I'm with you. Number two, because God says, I will help you. And then number three, because by faith, it's not dependent on you. Because look what he says next. He says, fear not, you worm, <laughs> Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord. And your Redeemer, who's that? That's Jesus, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I will make you into a new threshing sledge with sharp teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and beat them small and make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them. The wind shall carry them away, and the whirlwind shall scatter them. And I love this right here because, you know, there's, there's a lot to it as far as us being worms. You know, the Bible talks about that in the book of Job, chapter 25 and verse 6. And as a matter of fact, it even mentions how Jesus became a worm for us in Psalm 22, verse 6. And this is man at his weakest point. And so you don't have anything to be afraid of. And you're like, but Manny, you don't know me. You don't know how weak I am. You don't know how much of a worm I am. And God says, well, it doesn't matter because 
God says, I will, uh, you don't have to be afraid because I'm with you, because I will help you, and because by faith it's not dependent on you. It is the power of Almighty God who comes into your life. And what does he do? He makes that worm, the worm that I am, he makes us into these crazy threshing instruments that actually have teeth. And so what you would find in those days is that they would take the, the sheaves and they would you know, bring them in and they would take them to the threshing floor and then they would you know, throw them on the ground and then they would beat them. And then what they would do is take the forks and they would lift them up in the air and they would take the winnowing fan and what it would do is it would blow away all the chaff. And so the grain would fall to the ground. God says, I'm going to make you this threshing instrument with teeth and I'm going to, uh, this is what I'm going to do. Because oftentimes what they would do is they would take these things and they would actually do it on the mountains. And God says, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to crush those mountains. It's not just you doing this on the mountain. It's you and I moving those mountains. What it is is the impossible situations that we will face in life, whether they're now or in the future, God says, you have to know, like David did, when he went and he fought Goliath without a shadow of a doubt, that this is what I'm going to do. Because we don't have to be afraid. Because God says, I'm with you, I will help you, and by faith it's not dependent on you. We're just worms, we're just men and women, we're mere humans. And what this is, you guys, is this is something to take away your fears. What this is, this is something to infuse faith within you that you would know this is our God and this is who we are. And when this kicks in and when this begins to happen and you become a Daniel and you become a Joseph and you become, you know, a Paul the Apostle, you become a Ruth, you become the people that God's called you to be, then this is the life that you live. It says there in verse 16, you shall rejoice. You shall rejoice in the Lord and glory in the Holy One of Israel. That's what I'm telling you, man. If you have fear, you will have no peace, you will have no power, and you will have no pleasure. You will not have joy. But when you see what God begins to do and you just allow it to sink in, then this is what we will experience. And God gives the victory in every way. Look what we read in verse 17. This is us, the poor and needy seek water, but there is none. Their tongues fail for thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the wilderness, there's seven trees he mentions here, the cedar and the acacia tree, the myrtle and the oil tree. I will set in the desert the cypress tree and the pine and the box tree together that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. And so when you're in the desert, and this could be them wandering in the wilderness, this could also be them maybe in bondage in Babylon. Believe you me, they didn't have everything they wanted. But when you're in the desert, you're under that sun, you're in that scorching desert, you want two things. You want water and you want shade. And this is what God says, I will give to you. You know, what we find is that God here is sharing with them something that's so beautiful 
You know, if you turn to Isaiah 44 real quick, it's not just literal water, of course. It's not just literal water. It's actually the Holy Spirit, right? Isaiah 44 in verse 3, it says, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. Here it is for our children. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. And this whole here, verses 1 through 5, are promises that I have for my children. I know for a lot of us here, this is, this is probably one of the heaviest things on our hearts. Is Lord, what's going to happen to my kids? And this, for, for us, I think a lot of this is saying, God, don't be, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because I'm going to give you this water and I'm going to pour out that Holy Spirit on your children. Yeah, pour out the Holy Spirit on, on me. And this is what God is saying in a dry and thirsty land. And some will say this is in reference to the millennial kingdom, and of course we know it's applicable there as well. But you guys, uh, ask yourself, are you functioning? Are you really living under that anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit? Because if we all catch fire, what happens if I catch fire? Then if you can hang out around with me a little bit, then hopefully you'll catch fire. If you're catch fire, then I go hang around with you, and then I'll catch fire. This is what our church needs. We need every single person to be under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We can't be walking in our own strength. We can't be afraid. We can't be shaking in our boots anymore. Because really the opposite of fear, some will say it's courage, but I would say it's faith. I believe. I am no longer going to doubt. I believe in God. And I believe what I'm reading here in the book of Isaiah. You know, they were looking to idols. That's why they were so empty. Eventually, they were judged because they were disobedient. They were disciplined by God. God is saying, these idols, come on, don't stop looking to idols. They're nothing. He says here in verse 21, talking to the idols, you know, kind of, present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. It's the only time that phrase is found in the, in the Bible. And it's kind of interesting. Some people will say Israel is governed by God and Jacob is the bad side, you know, um, the manipulator, the conniver. And I think there is something to that. But God is the God of Israel, our good days. We have our struggles. Anyways, it says, let them bring forth. It's like speaking of the idols. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things, what they were, that we may consider them. And Know the latter end of them, or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Yes, do good or do evil. He's basically saying do something, (laughs) that we may be dismayed and see it together. Indeed, speaking to these idols, and you are nothing, your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. You know, and, and we have to be so careful that we don't, you know, maybe today we're not looking to statues, but I mean, not me. I can't, I can't look to myself as God. I can't look to that person as God. I, I just have to make sure that I'm looking to God as God. They're nothing. These idols are nothing. And this was really radical in those days, but, you know, eventually we find the Jews gave to the world, you know, the one living God that's, you know, in one sense invisible. He says in verse 25, I have raised up one from the north and he shall come. From the rising of the sun, he shall call on my name. Now this is now in reference to Cyrus, King Cyrus. And we're going to read a lot about him as we go through the book of Isaiah. But it's interesting how he says he's raised him up from the north 
but he comes from the rising of the of the sun. And you're like, wait a minute, time out. That's the east. Well, if you look at Israel, you would see that Persia is over here to the east. But if you were study the history of their conquerings, you would find that they conquered lands. They came to Lydia, and then they invaded um, Babylon from the north. And so it's just like Isaiah said. I, God said, I'm going to raise him up, and this is what he's going to do. He shall call on my name. And you read Ezra chapter 1, and what Cyrus said is really fascinating. And he shall come against princes as though mortar, as the potter treads clay. Who has declared from the beginning that we may know? And former things that we may say he is righteous or right. Surely there is no one who shows. Surely there is no one who declares. Surely there is no one who hears your words. You know, God is saying the idols, they didn't know the past. They didn't know the future. God knows the future. He calls Cyrus, uses that as an example. We're going to see, now he's going to speak of Christ in the next chapter, 700 years before he's even born. And this is why when you read the Bible, 25% of it is prophetic. God is telling the future before it happens so that we can know he is truly the only God because there's no other book. You can look at the, the Mishnahs. You can look at the Hindu scriptures. You can look at you know, the Quran. None of it is prophetic. Only the, the Bible is. And God is saying, this is the way that I can show you who I am as far as the fact that I am a God. And in verse 27, let me read it to you in the New Living Translation, where God says, I was the first to tell Zion, look, help is on the way. I will send Jerusalem a messenger with good news. Not one of your idols told you this. Not one gave any answer when I asked. And so the Lord here, distinguishing himself from the idols of the day, just trying to show the people who he really is, trying to show us who he really is. He's a living God, sovereign over nations, sovereign over every single situation. And so he says here in verse 29, indeed they are worthless, their works are nothing, their molded images are wind and confusion. But then he goes on and he talks about Jesus. In verse 1, he says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice. Oh, that is so cool, huh? Till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands shall wait for his law. Here we have a reference to Jesus as the servant. Now, when you go through Isaiah, I will tell you this, that you have to take it in context. Sometimes the servant is Jesus. Sometimes the servant is in reference to Israel. Sometimes the servant is in reference to Cyrus. And so you have to take it in context and find out, okay, Lord, who is he talking about at this point? And here, this is even quoted in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 18 through 21, in reference to Jesus. 
And, you know, we know that when Jesus came, Philippians chapter 2 says he emptied himself of his divine resources. Not that he ever ceased being God, but he ceased using that, you know, in his own volition. He came, Luke really presents him as a man, and he prayed, and he got baptized. You guys remember when he got baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him. So he was, like it says right here, he was upheld by the, the Father. He was upheld, strengthened. It says, I have put my spirit upon him and he's going to bring justice to the gentiles now that's a big thing because they weren't really seeing that as a matter of fact we talked about the fact that the jews oftentimes only thought the gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell but here we see the lord says no i mean when jesus comes when the Messiah comes he's going to bring forth this justice right here in verse three where it says he he won't you know raise his voice it's not literally, it's not, as a matter of fact, it's interesting because Jesus did, he was heard on the streets. And there were times when you read the Gospels where he cried out, right? And so that's not something that we see literal, but what he's talking about right here is that Jesus would be gentle. And I like what it says in verse 3, that a bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flash, flax he will not quench. And so usually, you know, you got a bruised reed, you know, it's damaged. You're pretty much going to break it. You're going to get rid of it. And what God is saying right here, if you're out there and you're hurting and you're bruised, listen, God's not going to break you. God's not going to cast you away. And, and it's interesting, the flax would be the little things to kind of light the fire. And he says, if the flax, let's say maybe you're here today and your fire is kind of dying out a little bit, and, and God says, I'm, well, I'm not going to snuff you out. As a matter of fact, if you're there and you're just kind of smoking a little bit, God's just going to kind of fan the flame. And he's going to get it going, you guys. This is the ministry of Jesus Christ. Such a beautiful, awesome, wonderful Messiah. It says in verse 5, Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that with which comes from it who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it he says i the lord have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand he's speaking now the father speaking to the son i will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people as a light to the gentiles to do what to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the prison those who sit in darkness from the prison house. That's speaking of the dungeon. God says, I'm going to set them free. I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory will not give to another nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. And this is what Jesus did. Isaiah's talking 700 years before Christ. He's going to come, and imagine that, opening the blind eyes. Who else, who else healed the blind? No one other than him. And so we see the Lord here giving us, it's interesting, he's the source of strength for Christ, but he's the source of strength for all Christians. You know, we read it earlier, we read it here today. Can you picture God just kind of taking you by the hand? And saying, listen, I got a plan for you. I got a mission for you. I've got a life for you. And you're, you need strength. You need power. You need faith. 
And God says, Let, let's, let's do this. This was written for a reason. The, the Jews would be in, in Babylon and you know, they'd be there maybe doubting whether or not they really had a future. Uh, even some say it was written at a point where they had been set free and now they're afraid to go you know, forward and God is saying, no, I got you. <laughs> He's able to tell us the beginning and the end. And, and so what do we do? like we did when we started this service today. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and you inhabitants of them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice, the, the villages that Kedar inhabits. This would be in northern Arabia. Let the inhabitants of, of Silah sing. This is over in Edom. And basically what we're talking about now is this, the, the Lord doing the work all around the earth. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in, in the coastlands. And the Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He stirs up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, uh, uh, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. And what we're seeing now is he's beginning now to talk about the, the millennial kingdom. And, and one of the songs that we sang today, it talked about how let all the earth, you know, uh, sing, let all the earth, I don't remember the exact lyrics, you know, shout to the Lord. And I was just trying to think of this right here. I'm like, one day the whole wide world will serve Jesus Christ. Imagine that. And this is what he's talking about. And so as he presents his case, and for us, we have so much more evidence as far as knowing that Jesus is our Savior, the Redeemer, you know, but, but here he speaks of a few things. God says, I'm going to do this. I am going to bring the kingdom to planet Earth. And we read the next verse is interesting. He says, I have held my peace a long time. I have been still and restrained myself. Now I will cry like a woman in labor I will pant and gasp at once. And you know, we see the things going on in the world today, and we almost feel like, Lord, like, where are you? And God is just saying, hold on a little longer, a little longer. I know it's getting crazy. You know, I saw that picture with, with Dwayne Wade and his, you know, son who's becoming a girl or something like that. Maybe it's vice versa. You never know nowadays. And again, I know people struggle with certain things, but listen, the world is getting like it was when Israel had to conquer Canaan. It's getting very, very perverse. You know, we got a, 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 a solicitation this week. My daughter got one from uh, these people that are trying to get her, you know, to buy cannabis or whatever. And, uh, you know, they're just saying, you know, you can get it there, well, you know, get it there in a, in a matter of minutes or whatever. All you got to do is do this little thing. And so people are getting high. And we, you know, my generation, we knew what marijuana did. And there's some the difference between something that's medicinal and something that's recreational, right? Just because it's legal, it doesn't mean that it's something that God wants us to do. But our world is getting dark. And sometimes you feel like, Lord, when are you coming? These crazy things that are happening. My brother, got, it was a hit and run. Lord, I don't understand. And God's saying, okay, I've held my peace a long time. I'm holding back, but man, let me tell you something. This is why earlier he talked about the gentle Jesus, but now we have this warrior. And that's the difference between the first coming and the second coming. And he says right here, there's going to be some that I'm going to work against, and there's going to be some that I work for. 
Look what he says in verse 15. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will make their rivers, coastlands, and I will dry up the pools, right? That's those who don't believe. But I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. They shall be turned back to God. They shall be greatly ashamed who trust in carved images, who say to the molded images, you are our gods. And so God would do the work just in case you ever hear, sometimes you've got some weird theology that says God's done with Israel. No, he's not done with Israel. He's going to bring them back. And we even see it today. Things are happening, right? But, but, but when Isaiah was writing this, they had victory over Syria, but he knew, Isaiah knew, they would eventually be captive in Babylon. Why were they carried away captive in Babylon? Why? Because of their sin. And so we come now full circle, and God is giving us this message. He's giving us commands not to fear. He's giving promises why not to fear. But I think he's always also giving us warnings. We need to learn from what happened to Israel. Look what he says next. He says in verse 18, Hear you deaf, and look you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? Now this now transitions into Israel. So he's speaking of Israel, his servant. Or deaf as my messenger whom I send. Who is blind as he? Who is perfect? And that's speaking of his covenant with uh, God. And, And blind as the Lord's servant. Seeing many things, but you do not observe. Opening the ears, but he does not hear. Now, we don't have time to turn there, but later on you go to Romans chapter 2, and you talk about how, you'll read about how the Jews, they had the law, they shared it with the word, they thought the world, they thought they were all that great, because God did speak through them, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they were right. Here we see they weren't, that they saw so much, but they were not really able to perceive or observe. They heard a lot, but it didn't really hit home. They didn't listen. And so it says in verse 21, the Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake, and he will exalt the law and make it honorable. But this is a people robbed and plundered. All of them are snared in holes and they are hidden in prison houses They are for prey, and no one delivers. For plunder, and no one says, restore. It's kind of like the Lord is saying, they ended up in this terrible place because they never really cried out from their hearts, God, restore my life. And so we read in verse 23, who among you will give ear to this? And that's an interesting phrase right there. Who will hear these lessons from the past? So the New Living Translation says, Who will listen and hear for the time to come? Who gave Jacob for plunder and Israel to the robbers? Was it not the Lord, he against whom we have sinned? For they would not walk in his ways, nor were they obedient to his law. Therefore he has poured on him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle. It has set him on fire all around, Yet he did not know, and it burned him. Check this out. Yet he did not take it to heart. 
Let me ask you a question. Was Israel disciplined? Yes. They got a trancaso. Was Israel destroyed? No. That's the difference. Why? Because they had a covenant by faith in the living God. It was they were descendants of Abraham and God had made that covenant with them. And so as we're reading through this, a lot of different lessons. This last thing right here, how sad it is, Warren Worsby said, when God disciplines us and we do not understand what he is doing or we don't take it to heart. Imagine getting a spanking. You give your kids a spanking and they don't learn the lesson. And you're looking at your kids and you're like, you you know, bad kid or whatever, you know? And God is saying, well, that's you. I've been trying to get your attention. I've been disciplining you and you're not changing. You're not being restored. You're not calling on the Lord. You're not believing in me the way that, that you should. And this is what we find right here. They, they burned him, yet he did not take it to heart. One thing you'll find about Israel is that when they went to Babylon and they went through their whole experience, they were actually purged of their idolatry, but they did not fall in love with God. It did not really become that love. That's not going to happen until the tribulation period. And so for us, prayerfully we learn from that. As God disciplines us, may we pay attention. As we read this section right here, we, we get the command, fear not, and God tells us, why not? Three things, I'm with you, I'll help you. And by faith, it's not dependent on you. We might be worms, men, women, but that's okay because we have the Lord and he rules over all the nations, nothing afraid of, and we, he rules over all our situations. Do you guys believe that? Pray you would know these commands, promises, and warnings you know, he's talking about the coastlands, right? Those type people out there. And then he's also talking about Christians. And so remember the verse that we started with. Does anybody remember the verse we started with? All right. Those of you who did that, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Mark 5.36. I think it would be a good one to walk away with. Do not be afraid. Only believe.